This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Sarah Bird knows a thing or two about search engine optimization. As a CEO of Moz, it's the main thing her company focuses on, and for good reason. SEO is one of the most important tools in a marketer's toolkit, but Sarah believes that few really understand how hard it is to become good at SEO and to tap into its full potential. On this episode, Sarah explains some common misconceptions about SEO and gets us excited about the future of search. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Marketing Trends. Uh, this is your host, Lauren Baccarello. Ian is at an undisclosed location and cannot make it today. So we have someone that, no offense, Ian, is even better than Ian. We have Sarah Bird here. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I, I am a little worried about Ian now and his undisclosed location, but I'm going to trust it's a positive. He's at a surprise party. That's what that's the, what I'm putting into the world. I, I'm going to say I'm going to say he's doing that as well. Anytime I can't make it, he always jokes that I'm off surfing somewhere. So I'm going <laughs> to say Ian can't make it because he is off doing something absolutely incredible. Maybe he's taken up surfing. Absolutely, he's finally learning to surf. He's following your good example. Have fun, have fun, Ian. How fun. We miss you, but not that much. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to have you on the, the podcast today. Um, I've, I've known you for more years than both of us have been alive, so that's pretty, pretty fun how that works. That's how that math works. Yes. It's like we met when we were seven. Yeah. <laughs> we were babies. We were babies. I mean, it felt like it. Industry-wise, I was a baby. Oh, my gosh. Can Industry-wise. Um. So tell us a little bit about Moz, and then I think we should go into the, oh my gosh, how has Moz been around this long? How has SEO been around this long? <laughs> yeah, so Moz, uh, we make software that helps marketers understand and improve their SEO. And our whole mission is to really simplify SEO for everyone uh, through education, through community, and through software. I am, so I've been a Moz customer for more than a decade. I have followed the Moz blog and all of the content for, I don't even know how long. I think Moz is one of the first places that taught all of us about SEO and then one of the first SEO softwares out there. That's right. We were really, uh, that's why I said education and community because that's, that's where we started. That's the root, right? The root is a desire to share what we were learning about search engine optimization and you know, really just uh, 150% credit to Rand Fishkin and Jillian Musig um, and their uh, generous spirit of, of sharing and knowledge sharing in particular and wanting to help everyone understand what they were discovering and learning about search engines. And, you know, that back then it was web 2.0. We were all interactive <laughs> web 2.0 people. And um, they always, from the various early days felt like a rising tide will lift all boats and that, you know, nothing is a zero sum game. And that's, you know, that's reflects my values and the values we still have at Moz around, um, you know, there, the more people that know and understand um, how great marketing works, in particular SEO, 
uh, the better for everyone. Absolutely. And I think so many industries can really take a lesson from, from Maz on that of you don't have to hold everything close to the chest and not tell anyone what's going on and make this sort of this secret society by you know, spreading the word about the industry, the work, how to be excellent at what you do. It makes the industry bigger. It makes the category bigger. Yeah. Your point, you know, uh, all, all boats rise. That's right. It's the pie just gets bigger. We don't just cut up the pie into smaller pieces. The pie just gets bigger. Absolutely. And if we go back um, sort of early 2000s, SEO was sort of random magic that people did and, you know. Yeah, secret, secret, secret people did secret things. <laughs> right. And it was the, you never knew them or saw them. Yeah. But Right. Something happened and you made it able to find, find stuff on the internet. Yep. But we think about now and gosh, how much time this has been. Um, what's, what do you think marketers are still getting wrong about SEO? What a great question. Um, let me see. I would say um, it's certainly more wrong now than it was. Let me start with an easy one and then I'll go to a more subtle one. First of all, that it's free. Uh, and I will admit, like, we have used sloppy language at Moz over time around, you know, SEO free traffic or whatever. And mm-hmm. I think that that contributes to a lack of understanding about um, how much work and discipline goes into a great long-term SEO strategy, right? Uh, because on the one hand, we will tell people it takes work. It's not overnight. It's a long-term investment, but you're building an asset. It's an asset that has competitive value, that pays dividends. Um, that is one of the most efficient forms of marketing and um, in the you know, mid to long run. Uh, but then on the other hand, we'll say it's free. The great thing about SEO is it's free. And so I, I think that, um, you know, the, that attitude is sort of the confusion around how is SEO supposed to work and what's the investment, um, both what it takes to succeed and also what you get out of it. It's still really poorly understood beyond, you know, a core group of impa- passionate SEO um, practitioners. So I, I, there's, it's both sides, both. It's not free. It takes time. It takes effort. Um, and what you get on the outside is beyond just a click. The return isn't just a single click. The return is about, it's much broader now. You know, it's, it's searches, searches change. The experience of search has changed, you know, what it, what it looks like on the page and how you interact with the search results is completely different than it was, um, when I certainly I first started in the industry. And I think that's scary for a lot of people. And for me, it's not, you know, for me, it's exciting. It's, um, it's a richer experience, a brand experience, it's an interactive experience. So uh, I think we're still at the very early, we're still, there's still a lot of misconceptions about what, how do you, what is SEO? What do you have to put into it? And what do you get out of it? Uh, still poorly understood. Oh, definitely. I, I remember years and years and years ago, having a conversation and this probably was about 10 years ago having a conversation with the CEO about no everyone uses the internet that yeah what what shows up in search results it's not just going to be small businesses it's not just going to be individuals everyone uses search (laughs) everyone and more so all the time we use it all the time and maybe the CEO does not fill uh, the CEO of a fortune 100 company does not fill out your lead form this does not mean he or she does not actually use search to find your business. Exactly. hundred percent, hundred percent. And even just educate, 
you know, I think one of the great things I love about SEO is that um, it works all parts of the funnel, right? Mm -hmm. It can, it can help you understand, you know, basic super high level discovery of helping your potential audience, your potential customer understand that there is a problem and educating about the problem and then introducing the concepts of solutions and bringing them to your brand and familiarity all the way down to working them to close. Right. And, and then after close, after they've already purchased your product, like SEO can help keep them engaged and interactive and having success with your product or a relationship with your brand. And I think that's, um, I think that's pretty special. Oh, absolutely. And I still have trouble in so many websites finding information once I'm on someone's website or on their community site and the search on their website doesn't work great. Yes. So you go, you go back to Google and you're like, hundred percent. Google. 100%. How do I do this? Google knows better. Google, Google knows 100%. better. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not terribly scared of that, which I think um, makes me a little bit of an outlier. This sense, I think there's a lot of uh, people got very people meaning uh, like a lot of digital marketers got a lot of conviction and false confidence because early SEO we felt like, oh, we're, the, we're finally able to track ROI and we're the real marketers. And, um, and that was back when, you know, Google's role was just to send you on your way to, to your website as quickly as possible. And then you could do more tracking. And now that it's Google has a totally different interaction, they're trying to do transactions right there on the search result. You can do reviews. It's multi-tab. It's visual. And like we just shared, users go, they don't just get to your website and stay there. They'll go back to Google and do more search to interact with your brand because Google's better at it than you are. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people that's scary and um, a lot of digital marketers haven't reframed their thinking to um, how is this actually helpful for me and how is this, you know, everything old is new again in marketing. And, um, you know, it's, I think we got over attached to this sort of notion of, well, it's, it's just a click and then I control everything. And I think that if we can reframe our thinking to be excited about and interested in the different kinds of experiences, engagements happening on Google and recognize that people are interacting there because they like it, they like it. And it's a good thing. It, it absolutely, absolutely is. And it's, almost reframing as digital marketers away from I Google is a tool. Google is the enemy to Google really needs to be looked at as a partner and a partner. Yes. So the, if you are in e-commerce, it makes so much sense because you're going to have your, your product listings, but it makes sense for everybody. And you talked a little bit about visual search. What are you, what are you seeing in visual search right now? Yeah. You know, I think I am, I am, Super excited about what Google is doing with Lens and what they're teasing out for the future of Lens. I, I love this. To me, that visual search gets super interesting when, you know, our um, augmented reality uh, technology is mature enough and there are going to be enough use cases, kind of partners, business partners, um, adopting use cases to build that in. I I'm excited about the future of visual search. It feels, um, it feels super cusp and early and I'm excited about it, but we're not currently, you know, building, building tools on that platform yet, but I think that it has the opportunity to unleash a whole new, you know, wave of interesting search um, opportunities and challenges. So I'm, I look forward to it. I welcome it. I think that users are going to love it. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, it's an opportunity again for companies like Moz to help people and marketers understand that 
that next interaction layer. Absolutely. And one of the things that I loved watching Google kind of evolve over time um, is the degree of sort of personalization around all of their search results and just the constant increase in relevancy. And if I am sitting in San Francisco, uh, I get one set of results versus if I am sitting up in Seattle versus honestly different parts of San Francisco and how they're using and really looking at local to provide the best, most relevant experience. Yeah. Yeah. We are really passionate about local at Mize um, for several reasons. Um, one of them being, you know, search is, search is growing. I think we're in a golden age of search and um, I think there's still lots of opportunity. And you know, we just talked about visual search. That's just one of them that is, is um, not even fully in play yet. Um, and within that golden age of search with more people searching in more formats and more kind of results, not all of those searches are sort of created equal in the marketplace, right? They're all interesting and useful because we're training audiences and customers to search a lot, which is good, but not all of those searches are commercializable. Um, and you know, we like local and a focus on local because I believe local searches are more often um, tied to a transaction. They're more commercializable. And so if you're going to divide up your sort of search time and, and budget, if you have a brick and mortar uh, experience, a real life experience, a store that you want foot traffic in or you're a restaurant and um, you want people to come there and experience your restaurant, then you should be investing a lot in local search. Um, that's, it's just close to the dollar, it's close to the transaction, right? Um, uh, and also, another thing I like about local is what you were alluding to, it actually increases the search pie, right? If, mm-hmm. if when we did a search for best pizza, it was the same search for all of the United States, and there's really only one winner, <laughs> you know, but the fact that you can be on one street corner in Seattle and you do that search and get one set of results in a different street corner and do the search and get different results, it's a good thing. It means there's more competitions and opportunity to succeed, and the more, the larger the pie, the more we can um, distribute that um, opportunity and distribute the wealth. So personalization, localization, um, I think it is good for both users as an experience and also businesses looking to succeed in search. Absolutely. And, and as the, and to your point, as the user, if I'm on one side of Seattle and I'm just like, gosh, I want a slice of pizza right now. And you're telling me I've got to go five miles away. Yeah. It's not, it's not overly helpful when there's a place four blocks. That's, that's exactly what I want, but I just didn't know about. Um, Precisely. One thing that I get a kick out of as a, a bit of a tangent, as everyone knows, I like tangents. Um, the, a lot of the, the um, local listings when I was in Europe are so strong looking for any sort of local business, restaurant recommendations, the, the Yelps of the world. Yelp really doesn't exist or have a great foothold um, in the parts of Europe that I've been to. But I've gotten such great, great results and advice and recommendations from Google once I've really sort of dug into that outside of the country. Yes, 100%. And I, I am um, very bullish and enthusiastic on um, the value of review solicitation and management and you know, the quality of the content and the kind of um, topic and data extraction that Google can do from reviews and other user-generated content like that is, um, it's, it's impressive 
it's a competitive advantage for Google that, mm -hmm. that they are they have means to do that and collect that kind of information and they're good at it. Um, and I think it makes the quality of the search experience so much better. So I'm I. I, I think it's everyone should be investing in understanding reviews, both for local, but also for product search. Yes. I be, and Google has done such a good job and they did this early on of how do they think a user person provide relevant information. And on the product side, if I'm looking for my Jane Iredell rose colored blush, which is very exciting for all of our listeners. It's a great yeah. product. It's organic, <laughs> fantastic. I don't need to go 17 clicks in to get this. If you can just show me where I can buy it in the search results, it's, and with their different competitive pricing and Google, the better and better they get at this, the more competition there is also for Amazon, which is funny sort of seeing the, how increased the flip, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, which Titan is competing with which one, but the results are people like you and I just getting, more relevant information, faster and easier. Yes. And then um, we're starting to see a lot on sort of voice with Siri and Alexa. Where is voice search anywhere? Is that is it going to be at a place uh, that's useful anytime soon? What are your What are your thoughts on voice search? Yeah, I, I whenever I talk about voice search, I start by distinguishing and getting really precious on what we mean. Because I, I lump it, well, it's three categories, but we're only going to talk about two today. Two broad categories, voice-initiated, uh, voice voice-activated search versus voice response. Um, because I think that, you know, voice initiated, me, me verbally asking something of my, of my phone or my home assistant, um, that's happening today. I, it's impacting the kind of search results we're getting. It's positive. It's a good thing for search. It's a good thing for users. It's a good thing for marketers. And it's here. And anyone doing SEO needs to be thinking about and doing something about these kinds of search categories, voice initiated. You know, voice response, I have, I have different views on. I have a um, less, I don't, I don't think voice response is going to be nearly as transformative as a lot of the articles will make you believe. Mm -hmm. um, I, think, uh, I think that there are very few commercial activities we're going to be comfortable doing uh, through voice response. I think that for repeat purchases or, you know, low consideration, you know, if, if, if the voice assistant gets it wrong, it's not that big of a deal because you're only out 20 bucks kind of searches. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it, it will have a, an important place, but you know, for all those sort of meaningful first time I'm trying to buy something or a more considered purchase or where I really want to have a specific kind of, ex of experience, maybe a spa, or a hotel, or like, I'm not going to do that through voice. I'm not going to wait. It'd be great in the, the one day in the future where it's between AI, sort of an AI personal assistant in voice search. It's, Sarah, based on everything we know about you, we recommend Knob Hill Spa, and there's an appointment available at 2.30 today. Your calendar shows an opening. <laughs> Would you like a car? Yeah, I like that in a very, I like a recommendation. I still personally will want to look and understand where they think they get it from. I don't know about you, but um, you know, I have, I have a seven year old in my house as well. And he also therefore will search things on our various home assistants or on my, uh, you know, my various streaming accounts or uh, on our YouTube apps. 
And um, that means that sometimes I get some really bizarre recommendations because (laughs) it's not, you know, garbage in, garbage out. And um, especially in like where we're all kind of living together and, and then Google pairs, Google or Alexa will pair that information as if we're sort of one glob, but we're very different in our tastes and desires. (laughs) So I I have a lot of skepticism about like how, how fine tuned we're really going to get that in the future. Um, And even that sort of spa example, right? Sometimes I just want like, give me your quickest, cheapest pedicure. It does not have to be fancy. I just don't want a toe fungus. But sometimes I'm like, I need a spa day. Like I need a spa day and I want tea and I want champagne cocktail and I want a beautiful lounge area and I want a eucalyptus sauna. I have a lot of skepticism that we're going to get to that full, hey, here's the spa we know you're going to love and it has an, an opening and your schedule's free. And so we're sending it. So would you like us to send a car? That I have a hard time imagining that that will ever really be useful or possible. And fully satisfying. Fully satisfying. Exactly. And then I, it makes me think a lot about sort of also how much do you trust, you know, how much do you trust the AI and the data? And honestly thinking about um, not just that part, but like building companies and that idea of how do you become the, the trusted company, the trusted source of, And I think Moz has done a really, really great job establishing yourself as, you know, you are the trusted voice in uh, in SEO. You are the the company that everyone references. How how have you been able to establish that over time? Uh, First of all, thank you for that compliment. That is a um, really touching compliment for me because it is something we care about and it's... um, it's a part of the sort of integrity, integrity of the company, right? To have people feel like they can rely on us and they should. So thank you for that. Um, that means a lot. And you know, I think that one of the things I am most proud of um, in my professional life is our core values. And um, we have a lot of them. And so we invented a word to remember them all and to talk about them succinctly. And uh, the word is tag fee. And that stands for we are transparent, authentic, generous, fun, empathetic, and exceptional. And to me, that trust that you speak of, you know, comes from taking your values seriously and knowing your, knowing your values and taking them seriously. Uh, And, you know, we're humans, we're humans. We're a lot of people have helped make Moz what it is today. Um, all kinds of people, people, people who are employed, but also people in the community, you know, it's Moz is not any one person. It is, um, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people who have been contributors, um, at Moz in one way or another. And I think that means sometimes we're going to have mistakes. We're going to make mistakes because we're humans and we're never humans. We're all flawed. We all have good days and bad days. And, you know, I think a lot of companies have values. Um, one of the things I'm proud of at Moz is when we, when we screw up, which we will because we're humans, uh, we do really try to be accountable to each other and publicly accountable even, right? We will share on the blog, hey, we screwed up a thing, you know, hey, we had this software issue or um, we've made a mistake or, or, hey, this part of our product, you know, it hasn't been good. So here's how we're fixing it. You know, we, we, we try to earn trust 
by um, knowing our values, trying to live them, and when we do screw up, owning it and um, being public about it. I think another thing that has always been core to Moz that maybe isn't as obvious in the, in the tag key values is that we, whenever possible, we want to back up our, our recommendations beyond just our experience but with, with data, right, high-quality data where we have tested it, you know, to, um, to significance, to statistical significance, we try not to make recommendations based on here's a handful of experiences we've had or a handful of people we've talked about their experiences um, because search is complex and it's changing um, all the time. So whenever possible, we go to rigorous data science to inform our recommendations and we settle, we don't settle for low quality, right? We mm -hmm. try to go all the way um, that we can to the, to the bounds of what is achievable. Um, and I'm proud of that. And I think that people know that Moz um, thinks that way, cares that, cares about that and um, people trust us because of it. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's the, and that deep sense of integrity that very, very much comes across. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's, I think a harder way to do business <laughs> to have, you know, such high standards and to be transparent and accountable to people for it. Um, but I think it's the right way to do it. And certainly it's the only way I want to do it. So. Definitely. And, um, I'm going to pivot topics a little bit because, um, I love having CEOs on the podcast for so many reasons. Um, and I, would love to talk to you about um, how you want to work with CMOs and heads of marketing and what marketers can do to really instill trust with you. What a great question. Um, I love this question and it brings to mind, um, first of all, trust is mutual. And I think that everyone in the company, whether you're the CEO or you're the CMO, no matter which side of the sort of you know, power dynamic you're on, because obviously there is one and we shouldn't ignore it. Um, but it's also mutual. You know, you need to, you need to demand that your CEO build trust with you. I think that's how high performance teams work, that everyone acknowledges that trust goes two ways and we have to be committed to building it, that it's something you, you work on and it can get damaged, but you can recover. And so that's the first thing I would test for um, as a CMO. Like, does the trust recognize that they also owe something to you? And are they also committed to working on trust? It isn't just a one-way street where the CMO owes everything to me and they better build their trust. You know, it's, it's mutual. We got to work on it. Like any relationship, we got to work on it, right? Yes. Um, so I think starting, starting with that, um, and then this is uh, super cheesy, but you know what? I, I love Brene Brown. I love Brene Brown. I think she's uh, so wise and has a great way of, of putting complex emotional truths into simple language and stories. And she has uh, a lot of material out there about trust and its relationship to courage, its relationship to vulnerability. And um, she has a great acronym called BRAVING. And she has a whole TED Talk on how we can build trust with each other you know, and by, by this braving acronym, by setting good boundaries, by being reliable, by being accountable, by being a vault, the V in braving is vault, right? By having integrity, by being non-judgmental, 
uh, and being generous in our, in our thoughts and our deeds and assuming good intent. So I, I think that there's great research on there. There's nothing I can say that I think is better and more thoughtful than Brene Brown. <laughs> Stop it. So go to her, just go to her, go right to the source. Um, and, you know, beyond, beyond that, um, if that's too sort of high level foundations of all human relationships, trust, um, I think that making sure you're aligned from the beginning with your CEO about what things do we agree are very measurable and metrics driven and we can make um, ROI type analysis on it. Um, and then what things are off, I call it off spreadsheet mm -hmm. and that you just can't track the ROI of it because I think that's what's tricky about a lot of marketing, right? Is, um, to pretend that everything is completely trackable and you can do some magical ROI calculation is a mistake. It's naive. Even that's not how humans work. You have to do brand spend. Um, and that uh, decisions are often made for emotional reasons and ephemeral reasons. So I think having that conversation up front with the CEO, like what are, what are the things that we both agree we're going to take a leap of faith on that there's going to be, it's going to be hard for me to ever give you data that is satisfying about, the results of this then. Do we agree <laughs> on that? And then here's the whole other categories of lots of activities I'm going to do as your CMO that you should absolutely expect certain kinds of data on and um, hold me accountable to it. I, I, think, I think if we were able to have that conversation up front, that will make all the later conversations easier, right? About well, what, you know, what is this happening? And why are you spending there? And what's this what are we spending this time on? And what's your thinking behind this? Um, I think I'll just make those later conversations easier. No, absolutely. And then, you know, leading, leading a company and leading an organization, what, um, what have you seen be really effective in, you know, building, you know, leadership team cohesion be, and building the, the effectiveness of, of your company? Oh, such a good question. Um, we have a lot of different um, programs for that. And, and then I also, we do a lot of that on, on hiring. You know, what's, there's some famous airline CEO that sort of friendly skies airlines, right? We're like, how do you, how come everyone at such and such airline is so friendly? And, and the CEO says, simple, we only hire friendly people, you know? And I think that there's, so there's something to that on the, on the getting your hiring right on hiring people who are invested in their relationship and have a strong sense of team and they who understand that building team takes work and that we as humans all take work. Uh, and then they're committed to that, doing the work together. So there's part of it is hiring. And then of course we have things like, we have a great coaching program at Moz. I'm really proud of. I have had a lot of benefit from um, having a leadership coach in my own career someone I can go to a third party outside of the company who can help me become a better leader and give me tools for that and hold me accountable to my goals around that. And it was mm -hmm. so powerful and transformative for me that I wanted everyone at Moz to have that opportunity. So we have a third party coach coaching um, organization that any monster can take advantage of and use to grow themselves professionally, to troubleshoot an issue, to help reframe an issue and I think it's important that the coaches are not Moz employees, right? They're third parties. They're outside the organization um, because I think that gives a sense of um, confidentiality and um, also, you know, your career is not at stake. You can say whatever you want. You can be as mad about anything you want with your coach. 
And, it, and there's no sense of, oh, is this going to show up on my performance review, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the time to go work out those issues and then to come back from your coaching session with ideas about how you can take whatever that is, whether it's frustration or come back and, um, and do something to alleviate that, to make it better, to make Moz better, to make yourself better. And so I, I think that investing in those tools, investing in people, giving them a place to go that's a safe place, but an expert place, you know, to give them tools to work through that is key, you know? Um, and then we do, uh, we do ask that managers um, live that transparency value with their teams. I think people do better work when they have context and that's good news and bad news. So we, we you know, we share our company metrics out every month, good news and bad news. Um, I think that is key to building teams. Um, and, uh, you know, at Moz, we're believers that you also, the fun part, fun is in tag team for a reason, right? That if it's all work all day, it's, it's easier to forget that all of us are complex human beings and work is only one section of our lives. And I think that when you reduce people to their work persona, um, it's harder to exercise that empathy muscle and it's harder to remember, wow, this person has a lot going on or this person wasn't raised in my house and they have different ways of communicating mm-hmm. and they're motivated by different things. So when you have fun together and you say, Hey, it's a legit work activity for us to sometimes just have fun together and not talk about work. I think you open yourselves up to better collaboration and trust and um, better teamwork uh, because you, you remind each other of our full humanity and we can see each other more clearly. Um, and appreciate each other more clearly. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. And and I'll also to reiterate the how great it is to have an executive coach and to bring that to the leaders in your organization and having one. I When I've been my best in my career is when I've also had that exec coach on the side who's the person to, to go to with no judgment and say, oh my gosh, what is happening? This is what I want to say. And here's everything that comes out that will yeah. sit there and go, I understand the spirit of what you're trying to communicate. Yeah. This is how you come across right now. Yeah, exactly. Here's how it's landing. And yeah. I want to show you a mirror about how it's landing. And it's how, it, it's how it's landing consistent with what you're trying to accomplish or how you're trying to show up. Completely. Yeah. That's not what I meant, but yeah. take a breath. Let's <laughs> figure out what words you need to say that are still true to what you need to communicate, but also land the way you intend. Exactly. You know, we, I talk about that at Moz because authenticity is a value as well, right? Transparency is in there, empathy is in there, authenticity is also in there. And at times, um, yeah, people have tried to say, well, Sarah, I showed up um, that sort of am angry and toxic because that's generally, that is actually how I was feeling. I was being authentic to my anger, right? <laughs> and uh, it's helpful then to remind people that we need to be authentic to the best versions of ourselves. Like within inside, within us, each of us, I believe, certainly within me, um, you know, I have, um, I have noble qualities and I have petty qualities, right? Mm-hmm. I have the ability to like focus on what's negative and awful, or I have the ability to focus on like, what's the opportunity and what could be possible from this. Mm-hmm. And I think that a great coach helps you be authentic it's still you and like you said you're still getting across what you want to get across but you do it from your best self and not your sort of most fearful or angry or jealous or distressed or stressed out self you do it from your strong courageous optimistic self completely and then people will be better able to hear what you're trying to say that's right 
And then another, another topic that I know you're, you're really passionate about that I'd love to chat with you a bit about is um, you've written and talked a lot about this idea of inclusion and women in technology. And you are uh, one of the sort of few women that are CEOs and something and a statistic that I think everyone would love to change. Um, what piece of advice do you have for uh, women starting in their career, women sort of rising in their careers in tech and in entrepreneur and entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of thoughts about it. I'll rattle off a few, and I, I might dig on one in particular because it's just been sort of on my mind lately. Um, the first piece of advice I give to everyone in their career, early in their career, um, including women, is to um, remember to go where there is heat in your job, like go where there are problems. Don't avoid the problems in the workplace, like go to where they are and try to help make it better. Like unlock, unlock solutions because that's also another way of thinking about value creation. And that is certainly how I went from, um, you know, I was, I was an attorney before I started at Moz. And so when I started at Moz, I had, I had no idea about marketing or running a company or software or startups. And I'd really no business joining a startup. And I have a lot of gratitude to um, Rand and Jillian, the founders, for, for bringing me in and, and placing a bet on me. Um, so, you know, the sort of secret to my early career was whenever I saw something that was confusing or confusing or just didn't look like it was working or seemed kind of messed up, you know, I didn't avoid it. I didn't say someone else make this better. I just started trying to learn about it and came up with my own solutions and then asked for people to say, to get on board with my ideas, right? And was say, hey, this seems, our pricing seems messed up. I don't really know a lot about pricing. I'm going to go try to figure it out. And then here, okay, here's some ideas I have about pricing. What do you guys think? Can we do it? Um, and so that's a don't ask for permission. Don't wait to be asked. Go where there's a problem. Do your research, present some solutions and bring people along with you. Um, that's going to help you learn. And also people will see you as somebody who makes their lives better. They won't even know, really understand why. They'll just be like, I just, I just really love working with her. <laughs> they just make their lives better, you know, because you just go, you go where the problems are and you try to smooth it out. So um, that's my first, don't avoid problems. Don't wait to be asked. Seek them out. Um, another thing that has been uh, an ongoing work of mine is to not let my imposter my imposter voice kind of rule my life, right? I really struggle with imposter syndrome, that little voice in my head that says, you don't deserve to be here. You're not good enough. Other people know what they're doing and you don't. And um, that, that is still in my head, um, but it was even stronger in my head earlier in my career. And it took years of, of coaching and intense work and mindfulness and self-awareness to learn how to um, recognize that that voice is speaking in my mind and not to act on it. <laughs> Say, oh, this is that voice that tells me I'm crap at everything and I don't know what I'm doing and I don't deserve to be here. I'm just not, like, not listening to that voice and go and remember that I know a lot more than I realize I do and I can be effective and I am effective and I'm going to go and give, take a shot at it, whatever the it is in that moment. Um, so I think that's learning to hear your imposter voice and then learning to not let it rule your life or hold you back, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when I, when Rand first suggested I take over the, the CEO role at uh, Moz, you know, he was the original CEO and he asked me to take over, you know, I nearly declined. I really, wow. I was like, I don't, I don't think I should. I don't think I could. Why would I do that? I had a lot of thoughts about it. Um, and I think a lot of it, you know, at the core was as a sense of 
um, you know, do I deserve it and can I have an impact? Um, and then sort of needing to um, get more grounded in my accomplishments and my skill sets and my strengths. But I still struggle with that kind of thing. So that's one. And then um, here's a kind of controversial one I want to talk about. Um, and it's this, and it's, this is really for, for um, all underrepresented people, you know, trying to make their way in tech. Um, and that's this hard, cold reality of, you know, we've inherited a culture here. We are operating in a culture that views us a certain way. We can influence that culture. We can be part of the change. We must be part of the change. Um, but we also have to operate within it. And so that does mean, like, I do a dance, you know, every every day every week about sort of authentically how I would like to show up but also knowing how people need me to show up yeah so for example if it was up to me I would wear either like yoga pants to work every day or I would wear like tutus like Cindy Lauper from the 80s like that's like my most authentic best self right if I can just be myself every day it would just be like somewhere between just rolled out of bed or looking like I'm trying to go to like prom in like an 80s movie um but I I don't show up that way right I am mindful of how I dress and what I look like um and then on the one hand that feels like a betrayal right to my sort of core self on the other hand it's the reality of like people need to see me a certain way and I need to show up for them with my highest impact and so I'm going to um that's similar to how you how you speak I think that's a really controversial and hard topic to discuss um, for people entering uh, entering the field, especially for women who have a certain way of speaking. And on the one hand, I want to say, like, yeah, we should just be able to talk however we want, and we should um, we should be able to sound sort of as typically feminine as we want. The reality is, it's going to get in the way of being of your ideas being heard, and so you need to find a way to think about your language try not to use words like I think I feel I'm not sure if you try to take those out of your language you shouldn't have to but we have inherited this culture and people want to hear from you here are the three things we should do <laughs> that's how they want to hear it you know um and so I think I think there is some. Um, I think it's a hard dance we're all going to be walking for a long time between being authentic to who we are but showing up in a way that really lands for the people around you based on their sort of stereotypes of what a leader looks like or sounds like or talks like. And I don't, I, I think it's, this is kind of unpopular advice, um, but it's, it is how I think, you know, it's, it is how I think, I think it's real. I think that um, we have to um, walk this dance between being ourselves and being unique, but also showing up in a culture that has certain, certain ideas of what a leader looks like. I, I think those are such amazing pieces of advice and I agree so much and I wish I didn't agree with the third one and I wish. I know, I don't want to agree with it either. It's crap, it's crap. It's not fair and it's wrong and it shouldn't be that way. But I, I think it is there. We haven't changed all of the tides and the times yet. I saw yes. some sort of internet meme and I'm going to misquote it but directionally correct but it was a I wish I could just uh, show up at work and be average uh, yeah. because you can't, you can't. you can't show up at work and have a bad day. You can't show up at work nope. and be average. You have to show up and be a leader and authentic and also compassionate and kind, but not, not too compassionate that you're and not yeah. too strong and assertive. And That's it's right. 
why can't I just show up and just be a regular person? Because you yeah. don't get to show up and be a regular, just sort of a regular person on a regular day as a woman in leadership. Yeah. We're always walking the balance from approachable but authoritative. Um, yeah. I, I will say that I, earlier in my career, I had no far less personality because I thought I had to be completely authoritative all the time. And this is how you gain respect. And I was never cold, but I was also never, I was not often called approachable. And now I'm on the far end of the spectrum where I'm extremely casual, extremely approachable. And my language has changed. Yep. Here's the rub with all of it. I have more experience. I am better at what I do professionally. I have all of these successes underneath me. But for people who don't know me, I'm taken less seriously. It's true. It's so true, I I am casual when I talk because what you're asking me about is so easy, it's not worth the attention. Yeah. Yeah, or although it's just and it's also in our sort of natural state, I think, you know, I'm at my I'm at when I'm my most comfortable. That is how that's exactly. how I want to be and relate to people, you know, like this nice, intimate conversation you and I are having right now, right? Completely. You can be easy and authentic and you're not trying to put on this sort of fancy airs. But the trouble with that is people might not, people may take that the wrong way. Yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. Context is so important. Context yep. is so important. That's so right. And I, I think that there is... Um, uh, let me say this. I, I feel, I feel my privilege. I have, um, I don't think of myself anymore, you know, as sort of like such, such, such an outlier. My, my appreciation for all the things I have going for me. I'm a white woman. I come from an economically privileged background. Like I have a lot, I have way more privilege than lack of privilege in this industry. Um, and I still have to do these like, ah, friendly, but not too friendly, emotional, but not whiny, you know, it's still have to walk all the tight ropes, you know, professional and attractive, but not sexy. Like you have to walk all the tight ropes. Right. Um, and so how much harder it must be for other people who don't have all the same privileges I have. Right. And I feel a sense of, um, I do this dance and I hope that I am pushing that boundary boundary ever further out. Right. That I am, um, I am also changing it as I go for the better. If there's not going to be a radical transformation where suddenly I can just wear my yoga pants or my tutu prom party dress to work. It won't be radical, but I can be part of pushing the boundary and make it better for, um, for those coming up around me and be part of lifting other people up and reaching out a hand and sponsoring people and supporting people in their career who are uh, underrepresented in the industry. So it's this weird mix of I've inherited the culture and I'm trying to change it at the same time. And I feel the responsibility, I feel the, the gratitude that I get the position I have and the responsibility to try to make it better for others. And I don't always get that right. You know, I don't always, I don't always nail that, but it's um, so that I'm working on all the time. And I, I truly hope we're the last generation that has to walk the tightrope. And I hope we can make enough progress for the the generations that come after us to be able to go in and say, you know what, I my inflection does turn up at the end, and yeah. I do wear yoga point yoga pants to work, and that doesn't matter because the quality of my work is there. And mm-hmm. I I hope we're the last generation that has to walk that tightrope because yeah. we do all of this work to 
get more women on boards and get more women investors and have more women in C-level roles so that you have all of this perspective to suddenly go, those aren't the things that matter. Don't listen to, you know, the, how she speaks, listen to what she says. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I have more optimism around, um, about around the opportunities for white women than I do for people of color. I I still feel like we have a long way to go for people of color to be really seen, uh, really seen for their, their talent um, and what they have to offer in, in tech. So um, yeah, but I, I'm feeling there's some progress certainly being made and also we still have a long way to go. Right. I just, I, we just celebrated international women's day last month. And uh, that's a, what a great day. And also, though, uh, it was our 108th International Women's Day. 108th International Women's Day. And we still have a huge wage gap. <laughs> we still have, like, we've never had a woman president yet. I mean, it's just, I, it's, that's, that's a little bit discouraging, right? We got to pick up, we got to accelerate the pace of change here because I, we can't be doing this 100 years. I don't want to have to have an International Women's Day. Yeah. I don't want to have to have one. I would rather not do it. I would really, but, um, but it's needed, it's necessary, and it serves a purpose. And so we need to pick up the pace of change around here. I completely, completely agree. And it's, I'm impressed by the, I am so impressed by the, it's a lot of the young women that I've met over the last few years who, where I felt like for so long when I was, <laughs> when I was their age, it was how do I adapt and adapt myself and try to make small bits of progression. And I see these young women that are like, screw that. I'm just going to do it this way and I'm going to plow forward and you shouldn't have to change you. And I love that. Yeah. Gumption that I have where (laughs) my mom couldn't adapt. She had to deal. I had, I learned how to adapt and they're all like, Nope, we're plowing through. And I just, I'm, I'm very optimistic for it. I do think, you know, the senior women out there, we all need to keep growing and keep getting more senior and women need to invest because yes. if we start putting money into companies, we have more power. We need to get more women in C-level positions and more women founders because yep. there's such a big financial impact. And then more women on boards and starting to do this. I truly believe if we have these younger generations that are pushing all of us yeah. and everyone that is senior on a tops down perspective saying, you know what, I'm going to give you all the air coverage to go and That's be, right. um, I am optimistic that we can do this, but I just, I want to see it in my lifetime. I want, <laughs> you know, I want young women. I want to be this here of old lady and all of the young women go, you know, you know, you just, you didn't do enough. You could have done more. Yeah. And that's what I want to hear. I want to hear them like changing the world at an accelerating pace and saying, you know what, Lauren, why didn't you do it faster? And we're like, you know how hard it was to get here. Yeah, I agree. I want, I want to be pushed. Um, I think you're completely right about the sort of air cover piece and like, how can we end in, and men, men who are, um, engaging yes. in being solutions and being active about how can I be a solution? How do I sponsor a woman? You know, how do I sponsor a person of color? How do I give them 
a light, shine the light on the work that they're doing and make space for them and make sure they're heard and seen. And I think that um, that is the kind of work we need to do um, so that, you know, that authenticity and the authenticity of those voices and experiences can, can be felt and amplified. I couldn't agree more. So we're going to switch one more time to our lightning round coming to us from uh, our amazing sponsors, Pardot. Uh, so our lightning round is fast and easy, just like marketing automation with Pardot. So uh, ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Um, what, is, what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? Ooh, that is the most fun. Oh, my goodness. This is not very lightning-y. Lightning-y, is it? Um, I'm on Instagram too much, and gosh, I just, I just love my Google search because I search all day long. Um, what's your favorite one-day getaway? My favorite one-day getaway, the beach. We're fortunate in Washington to have a lot of beautiful beaches with good beach combing. Love it. Uh, who is your favorite follow on social media? Oh, my goodness. Um, oh, my goodness. This is so good. Um, I want to say for, for inspiration, it feels like it's Michelle Obama. Um, what's the favorite book you've read recently? Oh my gosh, I read really trashy books, so I'm just going to have to lie. I'm going to have to lie on this one because it's too embarrassing to tell the truth. Um, why don't I go with, um, I re-listened to, because I'm an audiobook person, The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins recently, um, and that really always helps me level up my productivity game. And then last final, final question. Uh, what are you most excited about in marketing? Oh, um, I'm a really visual person. And so I am excited about this future where we have 5G, we have VR and AR um, at, at full maturity. And I want to be able to experience things immersively before I buy them or before I get there. Right? I want to walk through a hotel lobby and up into the room with, and see the view of the specific hotel room I can reserve. Um, I want to know, I want to walk the restaurant. I want to hear the sound levels of the restaurant because I'd like to eat at quiet restaurants. Um, I, want, I want that experience. I think the future is coming for that. Um, I, I don't think it's here yet, but I, I can't wait for that. Or even better, right, when you can, um, you can have uh, an accurate depiction of what things will look like if you try them on or you buy them, right? <laughs> like, what really would I look like with that accurately? What would I look like in, uh, in those jeans? It would be amazing. <laughs> and I can't wait for that, ex that kind of shopping experience. Be uh, that is definitely coming. Yeah, I hope so. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. It has been amazing. And um, now that we've spent this time, we are going to have to do an entire Women in Leadership Roundtable and need you front and center on it. Yeah, we're going to have to do it. Um, I love to talk about it. It's a topic I'm passionate. Um, and we'll, you know, I'll, we'll bring along some friends. It'll be love great. It. So, so thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together.
Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.